0: Why, 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 then he up on the radio again. If you wanna free your mind, grow zoom yourself. Wanna be more kind, grow zoom yourself. If
1: you wanna be a magic mushroomer, want to make your own boomer. See me I grow Shroom yourself hey yo this is went strong alongside dj Jacques and Danny denko Bigging up the new author simon says special guest set wonder big up big up big up boom bang boom bang boop, 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 boop. hey all right welcome to episode number 124 of grow bud yourself we're calling this one grow shrooms yourself we got a great one for you guys uh we're going to talk a little news Uh, our interview is with seth warner he is the author of welcome to psilocybin and uh we've got a grow tip on fertilization and ph for cloning uh we're going to take some questions from you guys it's going to be a great show so stick around all brought to you by seeds here now sweet leaf nutrients excelsior extracts prime superior inoculant and purple rose supply canagar molds blunt roller episode number 124 is coming at you Whether you're growing from seed or from clone, Prime Superior's simple, safe, and effective products can take your cultivation program to the next level. Prime Superior offers a two-step process that will benefit any garden. This is possible thanks to Prime Superior's proprietary strain of Boveria bassiana, which is optimized for plants and sets up a symbiosis that increases terpenes, cannabinoids, and yield. Simply coat your seed to inoculate and aid rapid germination or dip your clone cutting with the world's first biological cloning honey and improve growth the way nature intended. Next, continue maintenance on your crop with foliar or fog applications of Prime Superior's drench, which will boost your plant's growth and ensure a healthy harvest. Best of all, the drench will work with already established gardens, so anyone at any stage of growth can achieve a cleaner crop with better yields. I gotta tell you, I use this stuff myself, not just on my cannabis, but on houseplants as well, and everything has greened up. Everything is super healthy, whether it's the seed coating product, the cloning honey, which is incredible. The drench is absolutely great. It comes in a spray bottle, uh, pre-mixed, so it's ready to be sprayed. This stuff is incredible. And I have literally noticed more cannabinoids and more terpenes, so it really is an amazing product. And now's the time to try Prime Superior and the world's first biological cloning honey. Grow Bud Yourself listeners can use the code PS420 for 15% off their entire order at primesuperior.com. So don't hesitate, inoculate, and visit primesuperior.com today to learn more. All right, welcome back, and thank you to DJ Jacques and Winstrong. Killing it, as always, with the incredible song. And uh, thank you, guys. Thank you uh, for everything that you do for us uh, over here at Grow Bud Yourself, a.k.a. Grow Shrooms Yourself. We got a special (laughs) episode, right, Mike?
2: We do. And, uh, you know, if it it starts getting a little hairy for you, uh, if you get confused, just listen to Grow Bud Yourself play. It'll be All all right.
1: There we go. Grateful yeah. Dead reference there.
2: You got any uh, um you got any uh, shrooms war stories that you wanna share with the uh <laughs>
1: with the audience? I mean I've certainly had had some experiences, you know. Uh I tried growing them uh in the past. Uh we got the kits and and just put them up above the fridge uh to varying degrees of success, but definitely managed to get a few out of there. Uh I had some experiences uh, you know, on Shakedown Street and different uh varieties of Shakedown Street, Horde Tour and Almond Brothers tour. Uh work in the uh work in the crowd, you know, selling some boomers out there, lab grown cubensis from Oregon, that kind of thing. Um definitely had some 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 wild times out there. Uh you know, on on the shrooms as well. Uh certainly tried a few heroic dosages, which for me would have been you know, I guess four or five grams. Uh pretty, pretty hairy, I would say, at that level. You know, I think uh, you know, splitting an eighth is about uh is about right, maybe two grams or so uh for an actual dose. And then you know, microdosing. Uh I've been having fun with that, you know, with some chocolates and some tinctures here and there. Uh yeah, you know, so uh even some uh some gummies mushroom gummies. Those are fun, Uh, but you don't want to overdo it. So uh, yeah, certainly (laughs) that's my experience. There are times when, you know, that large dose is necessary just to sort of, you know, cleanse the third eye and, and (laughs) uh, (laughs) clean out the, uh, the old hard drive.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes it's completely unnecessary. Now just to really quickly um, the year is 1998. I'm I'm but a spring uh, chicken at the time. And I had been just beaten on the lot with uh, shrooms, like three or four straight times, bottom, and just nothing, absolutely nothing. Don't know what I ate, but nothing happened. So we went to see the other ones, which was what the Grateful Dead was touring as in 1998, uh, several years after Jerry passed. Uh, Nassau Coliseum, fellow comes up to my car, sells us some shrooms. I say, "What the heck? It is a uh, it's a full quarter, a giant bag, so we're talking seven grams." But I have been beat by shrooms like three or four times. So I figured, well, what the heck? I'm just going to eat this whole bag. And the show's about to start. So I just, I crush the whole bag. I throw back a red stripe with it, go in there. Not going to get into too many details, but I definitely thought a large shark was eating the stage at one point. Unfortunately, (laughs) Rusted Root opened for them that day, and they have this song called Drum Trip. And to this day, I can't listen to it without flashing back. But um. That was my fault. I overdid it. It's not this room's fault. And um and yeah, if you use it responsibly, uh you'll have I think uh, a very beneficial spiritual experiences with it. But but you know, you can go overboard and I
1: Right. I and have. if you don't want to get beat on them, you know, grow your own. Grow your own. There you go. <laughs> which which we will uh be teaching you all about later in the episode.
2: Yeah, because we have a we have a really cool interview coming up, but uh, before we do that, uh, we should talk a little news. And I think before we get into the cannabis news, which we do in every episode, maybe we should just bring everyone up to date on on what's going on with with shrooms with the with psilocybin right now. Absolutely. So a brief overview, I guess. Uh, Oregon became the first state to legalize the therapeutic use of psilocybin and decriminalize possession. They did that on Election Day in 2020. And then shortly thereafter in 2021, Washington, D.C. decriminalized both possession and cultivation of fungi. And on Election Day in 2022, Colorado voters passed a measure decriminalizing psilocybin along with other hallucinogens. And they legalized healing centers where patients can receive supervised uh, psilocybin treatment. So those states and the District of Columbia, they passed decrim and limited legalization measures. Uh, But psilocybin has received grassroots support on the local level across the country, including uh, cities like Oakland and Santa Cruz in California, Somerville, Cambridge, Northampton in Massachusetts, Seattle, Washington, and Detroit, Michigan. All of those cities have passed measures decriminalizing psilocybin. So that's one way at the local level that, that uh, psilocybin has become decriminalized. And now, most recently, California's legislature passed a bill that would remove all criminal penalties for possession of natural psychedelics. That measure now heads to Governor Gavin Newsom's desk. Should the governor sign that measure, California would become the latest and largest state to decriminalize psilocybin. So far, there's been no word from Newsom on that bill, but... If the measure does become law, it would take effect in the beginning of 2025. So clearly there's movement both on the state and local level to decriminalize psychedelic plants, particularly psilocybin, and make it legally available for therapeutic use. Unfortunately, much like cannabis, magic mushrooms and psilocybin remain a Schedule 1 narcotic, according to the Controlled Substances Act.
1: Wow. Wow interesting well i mean i do think it's kind of the next frontier uh psychedelic plant medicines uh psilocybin ayahuasca obviously ketamine is legal you know and uh and treated a lot
2: the same way with the with the therapeutic centers uh for treatment
1: mm -hmm. yeah right and even lsd was was legal until basically the late 60s uh and used therapeutically by you know psychiatrists and things uh, so I don't know. You know, I think it's the it's definitely the next frontier. Um, certainly should not be illegal. Probably also shouldn't be, uh, you know, corporatized. <laughs> you know, where only certain people have the um, means of production, and uh, you know everything is uh, extraction and a tincture. I, I think you know it's important that we keep plant medicine alive, uh, just the way it is. There's no no reason to uh, pharmaceuticalize uh, something like psilocybin that exists out in nature and that we can basically recreate ourselves and I think uh, same goes for cannabis you know grow your own
2: That's right and we mentioned last week uh, in the news that the uh, National Institutes of Health um, are offering up a two million dollar grant to uh, develop a drug from these uh, psychedelic plant medicines that could treat a substance use disorder, so addiction. So psilocybin might have a uh, a benefit there.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, and so many people I've met, veterans and um, people who've suffered from all kinds of post-traumatic stress and, and, uh, you know, any kind of trauma uh, that they relive over and over. uh, Psilocybin and other psychedelic experiences have completely changed their life saved their life turned their life around entirely um and you know I I can't even say how many people I've met personally who have said that you know whether they were um addicted to alcohol or opiates whether they were uh suicidal even like I mean it's just crazy um even people who have had brain injuries that just um, couldn't make those connections suddenly started making better connections in their brain. So it's inev- you know in- indubitably therapeutic and medicinal, uh, but again should probably also be done in the correct set and setting and um, at the proper dosages and things like that. So we'll talk for sure, I think with Seth about all those things, um, including the legality because certainly you don't want to grow your own uh, mushrooms if you're gonna if it's going to get you in any kind of trouble.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because um psychiatry for years has been looking for that that reset of the brain uh whether it's through uh, psychotherapy uh or electro uh electroshock therapy that the idea behind that was to sort of reset the brain uh for for cases that were extremely severe. I think it turns out the answer has been here all along and uh psychedelics might be the key to that. So uh, there's a lot of healing uh potential there. absolutely all right, well, so that was sort of a a primer as to where we stand right now with uh, psilocybin, and I've been saying that wrong almost my entire life. I've always said psilocybin, but I guess it's actually psilocybin, so apologies there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but what do you say since this is a cannabis podcast? We do a little cannabis news. Definitely. All right, so uh, you might remember if you're a listener of this show or if you just uh, appreciate cannabis in general, uh, last week we discussed that uh, Ohio voters approved a measure to legalize cannabis and establish a retail market there. While the state has nine months now to create rules for sales and begin licensing retailers, uh, possession and cultivation actually become legal in Ohio on December 7th. However, Ohio lawmakers, even the governor, have opposed legalization. And this is noteworthy because the state legislature has the ability to amend or outright repeal legalization despite the measure passing by 57% of the vote on Election Day. Now, Governor Mike DeWine immediately called on the GOP-controlled Senate to amend the state's new adult use law before possession and cultivation become legal on the 7th of December. And now, State Senate President Matt Huffman who favors repealing and amending the voter-approved initiative, has taken up the governor's directive to make changes to the legalization law prior to the first week of December, describing the situation as, quote, all hands on deck. It's unclear at the moment exactly what lawmakers are rushing to change prior to December 7th, but there is no current indication that they're pushing for an outright repeal of the law, at least not yet. The frantic attempt at amending the measure seems to be about two things. First, limiting THC potency, and uh, second, lining the pockets of law enforcement. Both Senate President Huffman and House Speaker Jason Stevens have publicly expressed the desire to change the adult use law. Specifically, they want to cap the potency of THC in legal cannabis, and they also want to allocate tax dollars to law enforcement. One bill already introduced in the House would earmark $40 million of marijuana tax revenue annually for law enforcement training. Fortunately, lawmakers do not appear to be attempting to repeal the measure, at least not yet, as I mentioned. But it definitely raises suspicions to see such a rush to amend a voter-approved initiative before it even takes effect, especially considering they only have about three weeks to do this.
1: Crazy. (laughs) totally crazy uh we i don't want any of my you know cannabis tax dollars going to law enforcement i'm fine with bridges i'm fine with you know uh potholes filling up the potholes you know especially schools how about schools the cops have plenty of funding schools don't and i know this for a fact because i'm here right here in new york city uh the schools are languishing and having a lot of trouble coming up with any kind of funding and the cops have billions of dollars here in funding, and want more. So I forty million you know, a year—that's a lot, it's crazy. Yeah, and, and and I don't think that should come from cannabis. Uh, I really don't. Uh, I think I don't think they should be changing the law at all. Anyways, this is what people voted for. Don't amend or change anything. This is what they voted for. Don't don't cap potency. Don't change any of. Don't change a word of it. It's what was voted on. So that's the way I feel about it. And if the, legislator, if the legislature does do that, I think the people of Ohio should, you know, retaliate with their vote and vote these people out and get people in there who respect democracy. It's quite simple
2: yeah absolutely and it, it's even shadier that they're doing this in such a rush without actually telling people what they're doing we're left to sort of surmise what their changes are going to be or if they're even going to repeal it outright so bit of a shady situation in ohio yeah yes yes okay so let's move on to another subject uh that's a bit controversial and that is guns many of our listeners are aware America is fond of guns and will vehemently defend the right of citizens to own guns. That is, of course, unless that citizen happens to use cannabis. Because using cannabis automatically disqualifies a person from owning a firearm. Why? Well, according to the latest statements from the Justice Department, cannabis consumers pose a unique danger to society. And this is because, they say, people who smoke pot are unlikely to properly store their gun. The DOJ has continually fought in court to deny cannabis users their constitutional right to bear arms, even going so far as to say that regular use of recreational pot can produce mental illness, similar to schizophrenia. The DOJ claims, quote, demonstrated correlation between marijuana use and certain mental illnesses. Of course, it was forced to admit that the association is not necessarily causal. Meaning that even though they're claiming people who smoke pot are too at risk of becoming mentally ill to own a firearm, they also admit that smoking pot is not what causes the mental illness that prevents them from owning a firearm, which is a (laughs) statement so baffling it's enough to make me feel mentally ill. But they don't stop there. In addition to claiming that cannabis users pose a danger to society because of the risk that they'll mishandle firearms while under the influence, the DOJ goes on to say, quote, Drug users are also more likely to use firearms to commit crimes to fund their drug habit, engage in violence as part of the drug business or culture, attack police officers who are investigating their drug crimes, and commit suicide. The Department of Justice is fighting this battle in court as several recent decisions found the ban on cannabis users possessing firearms to be unconstitutional. And rather than just accept the reality that marijuana use should not be lumped in with mental illness or other drug crimes, the DOJ is appealing the decisions and seems to be more than happy to die on this hill. Now, I don't own guns, Dan. I know you don't own guns. I'm sure many of our listeners don't. But regardless of your personal stance on owning firearms, this should make you mad. This is just another attempt by the government to discriminate against cannabis users who should enjoy all of the same constitutional rights as any other citizen.
1: Absolutely. And the one thing I would say is, you know, if you're going to do that, then also do alcohol because any of the gun crimes I've ever uh, witnessed or heard about, most almost, I would say, 95% of them involved alcohol and people pulling out a, a pistol or or a gun uh, when they were drunk and, you know, or in some kind of a robbery. But uh, typically, you know, people need that liquid courage before they go do something like that. So uh, let's not be hypocritical about the situation. Um, Either guns are allowed or they're not. And using cannabis as a restriction is crazy. I would hope that they would use something like mental illness, you know, or like a tendency towards extreme violence and things like that. Uh, which cannabis, you know, uh, just doesn't fall into the uh, the same category. So I don't know. I mean, it's it's ridiculous to me, uh, you know. And I think all gun users, I think the NRA should be outraged at this. Of course, not a peep from them. It's just crickets uh, because they're they're only for guns for a certain you know segment of the population. And I don't think that includes cannabis users. Uh, although there's probably many cannabis users in the NRA. And lots of medical patients who uh aren't registered as medical patients because they're afraid of getting their guns taken away. So it's really bullshit. Um, whether you like you said, however, your whatever your stance is on guns, it's in our constitution. There's a right to bear arms. Uh, and it doesn't say anything in there about uh taking that right away from people who peacefully smoke cannabis. And and so uh it's unconstitutional not to allow it and uh Certainly, if you're going to go down the road of not allowing it for certain segments, then you really got to talk about alcohol and pharmaceutical drugs and um, things that really actually do alter your uh, behavior and your mentality. So that's the way I stand on that. You know, that's that's it's bullshit.
2: For sure, and uh, let's, let's call out uh, Bill Maher here. He is uh, obviously a cannabis user and a gun owner, so maybe he would have something to say about this. Uh, maybe he has. I actually haven't listened to his show in quite a while, but um, but if he hasn't, get on this, Bill Maher. This is a good topic for you. Um, Let's do one more really quick story here, and uh, it's an unrelated story, at least I think anyway, <laughs> but this is about Snoop Dogg, the D-O-double-G, a man synonymous with cannabis use, he has announced—hold uh, hold on to your hats, everybody—he's announced that he's giving up smoking weed. He posted on social media, quote, After much consideration and conversation with my family, I've decided to give up smoke. Please respect my privacy at this time. So there's been no further statement. Uh, we don't know why. Snoop is leaving cannabis <laughs> behind, or even if he actually is, some suggest maybe he's just transitioning to edibles. Who knows? Or there's marketing no, an or edible is, brand. Yeah, maybe he's marketing <laughs> an edible brand. But there's no denying the role that cannabis played in Snoop's life and the fact that up until last week, uh, he was a tireless advocate for pot. So if this is indeed the end of the line for Snoop, he's certainly left an impressive THC laced legacy behind.
1: Absolutely. And yeah, like, you know, it's some people want to need to take a break. Some people want to quit. It's fine. There's obviously nothing wrong with that. So if that's the case, that's great for him. Uh, But, you know, I suspect personally, maybe there's some type of a a marketing thing behind this. A little Uh, more than meets the eye. Yeah, maybe there's an edible brand to be promoted. You know, I know, you know, Snoop doesn't just, you know, do things for no reason. So he, you he know,
2: did say I'm giving up smoke. He did not say I'm right. giving up cannabis or so, cannabis. Yeah. Or, yeah. So, so that's so, a good know, point.
1: You know, uh, maybe there's a, a line of vape pens coming out. Who knows? Maybe he's just honestly, you know, taking a break. He smoked so much for so long and, you know, wants to clear his head and, you know, has pressure from the fam, obviously, you know, mentioned in the statement as well. So, you know, good luck to him. More power to him. It's, not something I'm gonna freak out about or even really care too much about. I think you know he's changed personas several times over the years. He was Snoop Lion, he was, you know, uh all kinds of different uh personas. So um, you know, good for him. And uh let's move on. Yeah.
2: maybe he just wants to be able to own a gun. Who knows? Um, but right. if yeah, there you go. There you go. But if Snoop <laughs> wants to, to come on thing. the show, um yeah, more than welcome. Yeah, he can, be on, he can be on
1: episode 187. Oh.
2: There you go. All right. <laughs> I like it. Okay. Right. Um, okay, so yeah, that is a little look at what's going on first in the world of psilocybin and then in the world of cannabis. But we have a very exciting and trippy interview coming up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We are uh you know veering off of the cannabis course slightly. Uh we're gonna in- be interviewing Seth Warner. Uh, He is the author of welcome to psilocybin an easy guide to growing and experiencing the potential of magic mushrooms. Uh, I got a lot of questions for him. Uh, The forward is by Dennis McKenna. Um, It's a great book. It's put out um, by our friends at Quick Trading, Quick Publishing, uh, Ed and Jane Rosenthal. Um, So definitely get yourself a copy of this book. Welcome to psilocybin. But I, I am just so curious about growing mushrooms. Uh, So why don't we take a break and come back with Seth Warner after these messages. We'd like to tell you about our latest sponsor, Purple Rose Supply. Purple Rose Supply's Kanagar molds give you the tools you need to smoke more and roll less. Spending time rolling multiple joints can take a long time, preventing you from doing what you actually love. The solution? More smoking, less rolling with a cannabis cigar that burns longer. So how does it work? Weed is compressed into the mold with the skewer placed in the middle for airflow. Since the weed is tightly compressed, it leaves less space for air pockets in your roll, giving you a slower burn. Even with the smallest size cannagar mold that holds 1-2 to two grams, you're getting more out of your grams in a cannagar as opposed to a regular blunt since it burns way longer. and Purple Rose Supply offers mold sizes all the way up to 10 to 14 grams for when you have a larger group of friends. If you're a grower, Kanagars can also be a way to showcase the strains you grow and take your smoke experience to an entirely new level. Learn more at purplerosesupply.com, follow them on Instagram at purplerosesupply and don't forget to use code GBY20 for 20% off your order. All right, welcome back, and we have a special guest for you guys this week. Uh, I'm speaking with Seth Warner. He is the author of "Welcome to Psilocybin: uh, An Easy Guide to Growing and Experiencing the Potential of Magic Mushrooms." Uh, Welcome to the show, Seth.
0: Hey, thanks a lot for having me. Grateful to be here. It's been a fun journey.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate that. That's awesome. And you know, we we primarily talk about uh, the cultivation of cannabis, but uh, I think this 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 episode is obviously going to focus more on uh, mushrooms, which is a fascinating subject for me, um, for sure, because, you know, of course, I've tried, uh, you know, the old homestead kits, putting that up up above the fridge, you know, 30 or or so years ago uh, to varying degrees of success. Um, But it's definitely a process that's fascinating to me. Why don't you tell me a little bit about how you got interested and involved um, in psilocybin?
0: Yeah, man, I got super hooked on just the whole mushroom thing. Like mushrooms are going to save the world. Um, It's really investigating like how I could start to work with mushrooms and just try to like do something positive. There's so many like Paul Stamets is probably the biggest, uh, you know, name in that sphere of like we're going to save the world (laughs) with mushrooms. And uh, this guy Trad Cotter is another name. He was pretty exciting for a while, had some great ideas. But uh, a lot of the ideas are really, really tough to do and like really. um, But I found this when I got to California, I had this really amazing opportunity where I met somebody who was the manager of a mycology lab space in Oakland. And it was like a volunteer thing. And they're like, just so happened to be moving away. And they found that my awareness and knowledge of mushroom stuff and excitement about it was like the perfect fit. So they're like, hey, I know we just met, but would you want to help? lead uh, this space or like help manage the space so I started doing that and it was really cool started teaching people how to grow gourmet and medicinal mushrooms was kind of staying away from the psilocybin stuff but really like it was a matter of time for me because so many people were coming through and just like actually wanted to know about psilocybin you know we're teaching little workshops and things and they'd all be like trying to figure out okay but like can you grow shrooms with this? (laughs) It's like, wait, come on. And, uh, yeah, but I started realizing, you know, while a lot of these other methods are pretty difficult and seem unattainable for me personally to, um, make a difference, like maybe I have to go become a mycologist or get a PhD. Like I, I actually can just teach people to grow shrooms and I can help people do that. And, you know, that's kind of been the same ethos of like, what, what could I, as like a, pretty regular guy uh get away with and what could I do and how could I have a positive impact and it's kind of led back to psilocybin because it has such an amazing impact on people
1: and uh you also uh worked on some of the initiatives as far as uh decriminalizing psilocybin is that correct
0: yeah I was really lucky I was in the right place at the right time to have a voice and a seat at the table and uh Yeah, I mean, the way that it kind of panned out was like just showing up at a lot of meetings where we were all talking about it. There's different roundtables and maybe anywhere from like five to 15 people. And uh, I was able to join a lot of those meetings and kind of get my two cents in there and learn and reflect. And, you know, I I was by far uh, one of the least experienced people in the room. So I wouldn't say that I had like tons to offer to it, but I think being able to just be a part of it and offer some ideas um definitely helped uh, with the logo me and a friend redesigned the logo that, for our decrim nature which is now uh proudly presented on like 500 instagram accounts it seems like <laughs> so anyway yeah i don't know it's, it's, it was a fu- it was a really fun process and uh, the excitement of it actually going through it was incredible i was with the uh, psychedelic society of san francisco at the time so You know, we were helping to organize, bringing people out to the actual like uh, council meetings because it's through city council. So it was was a really fantastic experience.
1: That's awesome. Uh, Well, one of the big trends uh, in cannabis cultivation is uh, growing in living soil and basically sort of leaning on the relationship between mycelial uh, structures and plant roots because they actually, you know, benefit each other. Uh, in a way that I think I've heard Paul Stammis describe as like the first uh, relationship on Earth, basically between you <laughs> know uh, plants and and fung- fungus. Um, so you know we talk about uh, a lot about my- mycelium uh, in cannabis cultivation, but can you explain a little bit about uh, sort of the life cycle of? Uh, I guess you know the the book is mostly dealing with Cubensis, uh, cyclocybe yeah. cubensis, yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about that life cycle?
0: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, this is true for many different forms of like fungi. You know, a lot of them they have spores, and that's, you know, the vast majority have and use spores. So spores usually come from uh the what we typically consider a mushroom is like a called like a cap and stem, or it's in the family like a basidiomycete, which is like a little more complex terminology, but the gills uh the gills are kind of like this like large housing for all these tiny 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 um you know bodies of the mushroom called like basidia which are kind of like launching pads they like kind of like hold all the these all the spores and then those spores are just you know for us it seems like they're just dropped because they're so tiny but apparently in like some cases they can be launched pretty violently at pretty high um intensities away from the mushroom due to this like pressure that's formed inside of the basidia. And anyway, so all that's to say, you know, that it drops the spores and then their strategy is to have that spore caught in the wind and taken away to a place where it may or may not uh, thrive. You know, it's a very like a uh, haphazard strategy. You know, any given mushroom is producing like millions of spores in the na- in nature, in the wild. And then, you know, it may or may not uh, be able to reproduce because it needs two spores. So they're haploid cells. Um, or no, yeah, it needs two spores to both germinate separately and then connect. And that's a cool way, uh, to imagine a cool way to imagine it is basically like it's a lot like us humans, you know, we can't just reproduce on our own. We need to connect with somebody else. And, uh, so yeah, basically the spores have sex and they produce, uh, mycelium initially it's just hyphae it's like one thread of mycelium essentially and then when they connect they uh, have sex and then that's where you can have like explosive growth so they can start tapping into the resources around them and uh, growing much more vigorously and from there the mycelium uh, you know all these things are like triggered by different events so when uh, you need certain conditions for the spore to produce hyphae for the hyphae to produce mycelium and then for the mycelium to actually produce a fruiting body you know requires the perfect conditions but also different things around nutrition and what's available in the environment and uh then when you're looking at cultivation you know these these things uh are are similar but also different because we're not in an environment where we're allowing the mushroom to produce trillions of you know spores we're trying to use a few spores create reliable mycelium and then we're also trying to select as like you know the a lot of people are starting with spores still to this day but increasingly as we move forward we're going to see everybody using what's known as like liquid culture more and more because that is essentially like a, a clone. It's like getting a clone with cannabis. And so this liquid culture syringe, as opposed to a spore syringe is going to have a, a cut. That's like a very specific isolate of the genetic, as opposed to going back to seed every time, getting kind of randomized genetic results. Um, and And that's kind of the magic of doing the cultivation and all that work, you know, like nature figures it out and it does a good job, but we get to have a lot more fun and, uh, get what we want as humans by going through this like breeding process. Um, Yeah. So that's all really interesting in my mind, like this difference between the two. Cause the biggest question is always like, well, if they, you know, if you can have a mushroom grow out of a pile of cow shit, why is it so hard to grow them at home? Uh, But it's not actually that hard. And at the end of the day, uh, it's just because the the difference is because we are trying to, you know, get it right the first time.
1: Right. And, if, you know, from what I remember from my very limited uh, experiments, uh, it was it was all about keeping everything sort of sterile uh, and not introducing, you know, I guess, bread mold or any kind of other particles that could be in the air. And so I do remember that uh, being a part of it. And it's interesting um, also learning from your book that there are sort of different uh, phenotypes of uh, of these mushrooms uh even you know within the the world of just cubensis there's um you know the penis envy and a few other many other strains basically i mean that's what we call it uh or cultivars Mm -hmm. for instance uh is the more preferred term these days but uh yeah i found that to be pretty fascinating too um but what about that uh keeping things sterile is that still a a big part of of mushroom cultivation
0: Yeah, that's always going to be the, the keystone uh, important thing, like how difficult that is, um, you know, is getting like, I think it's getting easier. We have more advanced tools and we have better understanding of when, and where and why it's important. And we also have like these techniques that allow us to kind of get around some of the challenges, at least on the consumer level, like on the individual grower. somebody's not not doing a huge project, doesn't want to become a full on mycologist. Like my book is kind of catered to the people that don't want to have to turn their house into a lab. You know, it's like, do you you know, are you cool with cleaning your room? (laughs) You know, if you can do that, then it should be fine um, in most cases. But, you know, ultimately, like the most important thing is, uh, and I think this is kind of true for cannabis, too. But it's like when you have the clones, if they get mites or if they get like um, when they're just babies, if they get infected at that time then you it's a lot worse than them fighting it off when they're older um so the crossover with mushrooms is like when you have grain so you know a lot of it starts with this like sterile grain You know, and so grain works uh, as like this kind of perfect substrate because the shape and texture allows for air like currents to go through. You know, obviously it's very micro scale, but, you know, so there's air and that those little air gaps also allow for the mycelium to travel through. Meanwhile, they're also holding water that allows for the mycelium, you know, it needs water to grow. And then they also are full of sugar, so different grains. And they also have different micronutrient profiles, which is increasingly being studied as like a really important factor and different strains will look totally different based on what grains they've been fed which is very interesting and also like the the fruiting trigger of like when they fruit whether or not they've used up all the sugar is seemingly uh has some relationship to you know a fruiting trigger can be like oh it's run out of this micronutrient while well, there's still plenty of sugar for it to like grow and strengthen but because that micronutrient is no longer present now it's fruiting and you know so we're learning more and more all the time it's not quite like cannabis where there's been such an ex- like a extended period um you know the first person the first people really growing mushrooms intentionally was like about 60 years ago so uh it's a pretty recent phenomena and uh yeah so anyway the science is still catching up too of course so um wait yeah where are we at what was the question <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I get excited um
1: yeah i mean uh, what's interesting to me also is you you talk about in the book about actually uh using pre-cooked rice bags as uh yeah. something to colonize uh you were talking about grain is that uh you know is that a similar kind of
0: medium yeah so m- rice is a rice is obviously a grain um you know and uh gluten-free of course but yeah mm-hmm. but yeah so using this like whole uh a whole grain brown rice you know uncle ben's is the most popular brand and uh you know it's kind of funny because for anybody deeper in the mushroom world already this is kind of like passe it's like yeah of course you start there but for people that don't have any idea about this stuff to let them know that you can start there it's like very empowering knowledge you can just basically go to the grocery store buy essentially sterilized grain bags which uh might you know, it costs quite a bit online they might be 20 or 30 bucks in some cases but you go to the grocery store you get these little ones 3 bucks a piece and you know you only need two of those and some coconut coir essentially in a 6 quart shoebox to grow like an ounce of mushrooms a dry ounce of mushrooms which is just kind of mind boggling you know if you have the right genetics and you can kind of keep the moisture right which is also pretty simple um yeah you can you can root re- you know, continue to grow like an ounce of mushrooms in the shoebox, like this big, you know, it's really, uh, I'm saying this big, I'm holding my hands up, you know, it's like <laughs> really like a shoebox, um, right. six quart tub. So I just think that it's like become so simple. And, you know, I wouldn't call myself like a mycologist. I I'm an amateur. I'm, I'm excited about mycology. I think it's very empowering. I think it's fascinating. I love the, the metaphor of mycelium and what it has to teach and also just studying it. But, uh, yeah, I, I get the most kicks out of just taking people through their first like cultivation uh, experience, and that's been a lot of fun over the years. That's great.
1: That's awesome. So uh, now, assuming someone has colonized their tub properly and everything's going well, like what's the time frame from from when they you know, day one to uh, actually harvesting uh, fruiting bodies?
0: It can be, you know, again, all right. So what I wanted to finish saying about uh the grain spawns, like that's when it's really uh important to stay super clean. When you have these grains that are just like full of sugar and anything wants to grow on them, that's where you you can like have the most issue. And then after that, once you have clean, clean spawn, like it's it you can kind of relax a little bit later in the process. But uh, essentially the full timeline, considering like, let's say you have a great culture, you've got a liquid culture, um, you can go to not every site sells it, but somewhere like Inoculate the World sells like um, they call isolated tubes and you can get the get that and that's going to speed up your growth. So I think the minimum time is like 25 days, 24 days, maybe a month Uh, and then six weeks is pretty typical as well especially if you're using spores they take longer in the growth phase like the spawn phase so that's like the initial growth of the mycelium in your rice bag or in your in your grain of any kind they take longer because they actually have to germinate they have to produce the hyphae they have to find each other they have to have sex and then hopefully you have great genetics from there so there's there's more uh that can you know there's more variety in that um but overall yeah four to six weeks is a uh, pretty reliable and again temperature is another piece of the story so are you keeping them around 75 degrees if you are that's generally like the best temperature for cubensis specifically and uh you know anyway so there's these different factors that go into play but uh you know the, if it's cold it might take a bit longer it might take eight weeks uh, but yeah i think it's pretty cool the, the whole process can go pretty quickly and that's usually very exciting when it comes to this being like a hobby for most people that are into it, you know, it's it's fun. It it happens pretty quick turnaround and you get to see all the growth and the different kind of genetics and how they look.
1: Yeah. And and apparently you can actually harvest a few times from the same uh tub. Uh can you talk a little bit about the the like how how to harvest and uh dry and then store uh properly uh with the cubensis? Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. It's almost like, you know, the biggest thing is like each strain is kind of going to have some different characteristics, which is so crazy. You know, you go to the grocery store and you see all these different morphologies of like different species of mushrooms. And it's almost like they've come to this point within breeding of Cubensis that you could see it looks like literally different species. They're so different. Like some are like thick and chunky and short and others have like really thin stems and like tall and like, like little like dainty caps i mean really and then there's less like ones that are totally mutants there's like a with like a coral growing or something wild like that and and everything in between all these colors everything from like an orangish like rusty color to like bright white and um but essentially like um uh, yeah within within this it is still all cubensis And when you will go to harvest them, these differences in their morphology is going to make a difference in how you harvest it. So, you know, a lot of times you can get away with like slightly thicker ones, like with just like a twist and pull, almost like you have like, uh, you know, you're pulling an apple off a tree, you know, you kind of give it that initial twist. And then, yeah, once most of the connections are broken, you just give it a pull. And that works a lot of the time. And uh, in other cases, you might want to actually like uh, cut with scissors it really depends on, like, your, you know, how you're doing it, what you're doing. But the old, like, twist and pull is a classic, man. You can't go wrong with that. Um, and you just want to make sure you're not leaving behind, like, huge craters when you pull it. Because there's, like, it's in this coconut coir. So if you just, you're a little too aggressive, you, like, leave these huge crater divots in there. Um, and then, you know, there's trimming in cannabis, of course, right? So you're used to, like, you know, all the little sugar leaves and stuff, taking those off. And, um, you know. Generally speaking, you should probably trim the bases on your uh, mushrooms, too, because there'll be like some coconut coir stuck there a lot of times and just give that a little cut. And some people forget that and they'll try to clean them up when they're dried mushrooms. But that's a huge pain in the ass. So when they're when they're still wet, I highly recommend that moment to uh, yeah, just cut the little bases off.
1: And um, basically, then you just dry them and store them similar to cannabis in a, in a
0: sealed jar or, or what? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Good question. So yeah, like the drying process with mushrooms is a bit different because with cannabis, you want to have some moisture in them still, but with mushrooms, you want to go to absolute zero uh, moisture, 0% moisture as much as possible, which isn't really like that realistic, but that's the goal. And uh, so when you're drying them, you know, there's a lot of different people saying, oh, it doesn't matter how hot you dry it because like, you know, psilocybin doesn't break down until like 400 degrees and other people say, oh, but you know, there's other factors. So I usually try to go for like a low and slow kind of, uh, you know, I like to put the uh, temperature around like 125 or 130 and then go from there uh, and just, it takes maybe like a day or, but using a dehydrator is a good way to go. And if you don't have one, a lot of people don't, you can also use like a powerful fan, put them in front of a fan for like a day, and then that'll get a lot of the moisture out. And then from there, you can go ahead and like try to finish them in the oven at a really low temperature. Which there's definitely a little bit of a higher risk of like, you know, maybe you leave them in there too long or something. I've seen that go wrong before, but uh, for the most part, it works out. And there's some little tutorials you can always find online about these things. Um, but yeah, from there, you really want to throw them into like, you know, it doesn't really matter exactly. You can use a jar, you can use a bag, but... The best thing to know about, no matter what the setup is, is that it's never going to be like 100% airtight seal. Even a mason jar, it's really not sealed until it's like canned shut. You know, a lot of people think it has that rubber seal, so it's fine. But um, they'll they'll suck in moisture from their surrounding area regardless. So you basically need to make sure that you have what's called desiccant. um, And it's basically just, you know, a moisture absorbent. So... I highly recommend if you're going that route to get them with the like little balls in there that change color depending on how used up they are. So the ones I have right now they're like bright orange and then they turn into like a like a slug like a sludge kind of green color as they get more moist and that lets you know they're no longer active. So you can kind of check your stash and as long as they're still like orange and keeping everything super like dry that's going to help you preserve the potency of the mushrooms long term and moisture seems to be the uh the greatest factor of diminished potency over time
1: okay um well let's talk about dosages I know obviously you know microdosing is a big thing uh but let's talk about like what what is a microdose? what is a a, a regular dose a heroic dose what what you know typical amounts are those
0: yeah so I go into this a lot in the book and uh I had I had some cool opportunities to work with, like, uh, people that have been doing the microdosing stuff for a long time, like Jim Fadiman. And we put, a, like, a class together with the Psychedelic Society called the Microdosing Movement. <laughs> and that was a lot of fun. And uh, we, I think I learned a lot in that experience, too, about it. And what, I've, what I'll what i share is that microdosing is definitely not one thing. Um, you know, it's like saying that, like, getting high from weed is like, you know, oh if you only want to get a little high, take one hit you know it's like wait what's one hit like is that like a full lung or is that like how much weight and then wait how potent is the weed you know so you have a lot of factors going into you know so obviously potency of the mushroom you have your own individual um responsiveness to psilocybin and the other compounds present and then from there we have like just what you're looking for. That's probably the biggest variable. What do you want? You know, you don't really know what a microdose is if you've never ha- tried a small amount. So then like maybe somebody else is doing point 0.1 and, and they say, oh, it's just like I could just barely feel it lift my mood a little bit. And for you, you know, you like a little bit more and it gives you kind of this like buzzy feeling. And that's what you like. So ultimately, I think it's about forming a relationship and trying out a variety of different dosages. And I kind of give a protocol in the book of like how to walk through that, like, you know, kind of like slowly, incrementally increasing it. And uh, but anyway, like more or less, like the quote unquote standard amount for a microdose is like 0.1 or like a tenth of a gram, which is a really small amount. I mean, if people are taking like a a proper dose to be like, 3.5 grams or 2.5 grams being like that higher end threshold into larger doses um you know that that's like 35 times more than a microdose, so it, it is really a small amount and and people do take larger microdoses too like 0. 0.2 0. 0.3 um and i say like that's like 200 300 milligrams or but uh it's really like the most important thing is to like tap in with yourself and figure out what feels right and like what feels good and you know how sustainable it is. And I'd say the place that people go wrong most often isn't taking too much, of course that happens, but it's not taking enough and not really feeling anything but just telling yourself, well, that's what a microdose is. You're not supposed to feel it, which is not really the truth. Uh, that line or that belief comes from a statement Jim Fadiman made decades ago uh, just saying that it's quote unquote like sub perceptual dosing, but that was at a time when everybody was taking huge doses. <laughs> you know, he's surrounded <laughs> by people taking like ten tabs of acid, or like you know who knows, like. But just kind of that that psychedelics craze that was going on in America, and um, so in comparison, this was totally sub perceptual. You barely felt it, but in reality, his reading on it now is like he would say it more like. You know, if you're walking down the street, things should be brighter. The flowers should be more beautiful. The trees should be vibrant, but they shouldn't be talking to you. (laughs) So that's like the gray area. (laughs) You know, anywhere where they're not talking to you could be a microdose. But, you know, again, it's like start low, go slow, and work your way up to what feels great. And like maybe push it a little bit past and then wind it back down. Just make sure you're like being safe about your timing, make sure you're not like blowing off responsibilities or trying to, you know, drive somewhere when you're not sure how this drug's going to affect you or something. So yeah. I definitely, you know, suggest caution around those, uh, normal things, you know, don't operate yeah. heavy machinery. The right stuff. set
1: and setting is so important, I think, for psychedelic experience. Uh, and you go into that as well, uh, in the book, as well as lemon tech, what is, what is the, uh, the role that lemons <laughs>
0: play in, in lemons the... basically it's an extraction technique to pull out the psilocybin and also break down uh some of the more difficult to digest compounds of the mushrooms so uh, a lot of people actually experience stomach distress during their use of dried mushrooms um you know th- for that reason we're starting to see more and more products on the market that are like gummies and chocolates that are actually using extracts and the reason is this stomach distress factor. Uh, and, and the reason of at least one of the reasons for the stomach distress and probably the most prominent reason is that, uh, mushrooms are made out of this really tough material called chitin and chitin is the same stuff that bugs build their exoskeletons with. Right. So, um, Some people have more of an ability, more of an enzyme. It's called chitinase. Um, So a higher presence of chitinase in their digestive system that allows them to break this down, no issue. But also there's a varying, you know, people have varying abilities to break it down and some people don't have it at all. So a lot of times when you're hearing about this uh, nausea, it's coming from this particular issue. So things like tea and lemon tech, uh, you know, both help to prevent the uh you know indigestion that can come with this difficult compound yeah that Uh, makes sense so lemon lemon tech is really simply just powderize the mushroom and pour lemon juice on it let it sit and 30 minutes later maybe you could wait longer if you want but 30 minutes later maybe just you know shoot it back and it, it kicks in a lot faster it absorbs into your body much quicker and yeah that's awesome
1: yeah so um Yeah. So I, I mean, I highly recommend this book. Uh, welcome to psilocybin. Uh, very interesting with forward written by Dennis McKenna. Uh, also that's a legend legend and and a great guy, uh, for the book. And, you know, I learned a lot about, um, we talked about dosage sourcing spores, um, psychedelic safety, but just the idea that someone can do this at home, uh, with pretty limited, you know, resources and, 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 uh, stuff you can just basically find at the grocery store or the hardware store. It's pretty amazing. Um, Tell people uh, how they can find the book and also uh, about, you know, myco rising and uh, how they can go, you know, get get involved in your workshops, your online uh, ready, set, grow program and things like that.
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, in terms of getting the book, it's on Amazon. So for anybody that wants to just go that route, uh, you know, use your prime benefits. go for it. But if you want to support me a little bit more, uh get a little bit more money if you come to my website and you can go to my website mycorising.com, so it's m y c o rising r i s i n g. Um also on Instagram I'm myco.rising and then um that That website will redirect you to mycorisingfungi.com, which is just the domain I had longer. And uh, yeah, you can find all that on there. I have an online course that walks you through this with like 90 minutes of like really uh, in-depth like videos where i'm i try to put some humor in there and like have a lot of close-ups and uh, i think it's very high quality i've got a lot of compliments on it and i have brought the price down recently too to like 30 bucks i just want people to like do this and yeah i don't know like i just want it to be accessible and easy um so yeah check that out and um yeah the thing i'm i want to talk about the most i'm most excited about we call it hyperdose and uh we be having a website in the near future uh out right now it looks like trash but it's a uh, hikerdose.org and uh right now we're we're doing four hikes a month and in the new year it looks like we're going to be closer to seven or eight and basically we give away it's a free hike we give away microdoses to the community and uh we literally like go hiking we just get together a group of people every week and uh it's super fun, man. It's so beautiful. And uh, we, it's a pretty simple routine. We just like give away micros at the beginning, do a quick intro. We come up with some either silly or serious, some variety of prompt to get people chatting. Then we go for a hike. Halfway through the hike, we stop, but we bring out like a half gallon of hot tea every time. We have tea out there in the woods. It, it's super nice. And we'll usually pick like a spirit card at the beginning. Like everybody kind of passes it around and we choose one and uh, then we'll read about that. That kind of opens up like a deeper conversation. And from there we end finish the hike and just call it a day. And man, it's been amazing to see so many people come through those hikes. And like, it just seems really like the, the combination of the movement exercise, nature, time, community, et cetera. It creates this really beautiful, like synergy for like, making people feel good about living. And uh <laughs> so anyway, that's I'm most stoked on that. I'm gonna be growing that a lot more in the coming years. That really feels like my calling. Um but yeah teaching workshops, having the online course and just trying to get people growing and uh feeling empowered and like knowing that this medicine, uh you know, this tool, however you want to call it, but it is super powerful for a lot of people. It's helping them change their lives. And the whole gist here is like, it's insane that you can grow this at home. You know, it seems more effective for a lot of people than standard pharmaceuticals. And it's basically free. So it's just like, uh, I don't know, it, it's the evidence is all around. us. so many people that have had really positive stories. It's not to say it's totally safe. You know, I don't want people to get the wrong impression and say, oh, you can't do anything wrong with it. It's powerful stuff. And uh, you really got to be respectful to the medicine and understand that it has a mind of its own in some ways. Um, but that uh, for the most part, if you start low, go slow, come with respect and like really treat it um, as a new relationship. I think there's a ton of value for most people. And, uh, you know, and if you're somebody that obviously has a uh, family history with some really challenging mental stuff, you know, look deeper into it before you just get started and go for it. But that's that's my piece Danny yeah thanks man
1: (laughs) it's great advice and uh yeah I mean mushrooms can and will change the world and 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 change us as individuals as well and heal the planet I hope I believe you know we we can uh change our minds and and get out of uh traumatic spirals and things like that so it is incredible thank you Seth Warner uh for everything you've done uh to help people grow shrooms themselves And I definitely encourage people out there to, uh, you know, get this book and uh, learn more about uh, psilocybin.
0: Yeah. Thanks a lot, Danny. It's a lot of fun to be here, man. Appreciate the opportunity. And
1: uh, yeah. Awesome, man. Thank you, Seth Warner. And uh, we will be back after these messages. All right, all you cannabis connoisseurs out there, we have a special announcement for you. SeedsHereNow.com is elevating October with deals that'll make your buds burst with joy. Autumn is here and we're celebrating the harvest season with tons of incredible deals. Place an order this month and SeedsHereNow's got you. For the month of October, every order secures a free S. Joe OG. That's a Femme uh, one pack. And that's a garden game changer right there. Plus, enjoy 20% off on all iRegenetics seeds and grape-flavored strains all month long. And if you're tired of domestic shipping costs eating away at your grow budget, we've got you covered again. Simply use the code DANKOSHIP, that's D-A-N-K-O-S-H-I-P, and you'll get free shipping with your order at SeedsHereNow.com, domestic shipping. Don't miss Seeds Here Now's pre-Halloween bash, October 24th, Halloween special, October 31st, and new strain reviews every day this month during our Croptober Chronicles series. So head over to seedsherenow.com, enter Danko Ship, and let your garden flourish in style. Keep it green, nurture those dreams, and remember, with the right seeds and knowledge, you're always in for a bountiful harvest. Hey, all right. Welcome back. And uh, thank you to Seth Warner. That was a very interesting uh, interview about uh, psilocybin and and mushrooms. I think I caught a contact high a little bit there, Mike.
2: A contact high from (laughs) from psilocybin. maybe
1: Maybe that's a flashback. Is that what that's called?
2: i don't know man but uh those spores
1: just went through the (laughs) the airwaves to you yeah you know some mycelial strands Mm -hmm. uh yeah yeah fun interesting stuff and uh a very fun guy so to speak uh, our friend seth (laughs) (laughs) uh but definitely check out that book welcome to psilocybin i think uh you know if you can grow weed you can probably grow mushrooms too and uh sounds like, you know, it's a fun and enjoyable activity with uh, interesting possibilities, right? I mean,
2: yeah, definitely interesting
1: possibilities, (laughs) but we are now in our cultivation segment. And uh, so it's uh, Fortnite, not so we don't have that. So I'm going to go right into the grow tip, um, which is about fertilization and pH specifically for cloning. So um, and and cloning, I know a lot of people find it a little tricky, but, uh, and I always talk about how important temperature and humidity is, uh, and it is, of course, um, but fertilization in pH, also very important for cloning. So uh, I think also very important to understand, and, you know, there's lots of different, you got to also understand your mediums, right? So most, a lot of people, you know, and it's easy to clone in rockwool. Uh, and if you're going to clone in rock wool, you should understand. Um, first of all, rock wool is not, you know, an organic material. It's uh, you know, puffed rock and 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 it's dangerous actually if it's dry. So the first thing you should learn about rock wool is to keep it wet. Um, so when you get it, it's typically in a bag. Um, I would say just poke a hole in the bag and pour uh, you know, basically we call that pre-soaking and sort of flushing the rock wool. You use um Basically, pH adjusted water, something around 6.2, anywhere between 5.8 and 6.5. But what you're aiming for is about 6.2. Um, and you basically just really want to pre flush it, pre sort of soak that rock wool uh, and check the runoff of the pH because sometimes rock wool will tend to have a very low pH um, and you might need to bring it up a bit. Um, but either way, you want to keep it wet and buffer it uh, pH wise before you use it. Um, like I said, 5.8 to 6.5 or so, uh, it also depends on the cultivar that you're growing because some like a little more acidic. And if you're going to be growing in hydro, I would say also you want to go closer to 5.8 or 6.0. And if you're growing in a uh, soilless mix or living soil or anything like that, um, 6.2 to 6.5, um, you want to monitor the nutrient pH levels pretty often with, uh, Rock wool as well because they can tend to fluctuate. Another important tip is to cover the rock wool, At the top of the rock wool. You'll avoid algae that way, that can, uh, you know, get whenever light and water meet, you get algae. So, um, and that can inhibit some of the nutrient and oxygen uh, uptake. So keep that in mind. Never let the rock wool dry out. Um, and you want the temperature basically around 70 to 75 degrees um, of that wool or, or whatever medium you choose. These days, um, there's more like organic plugs that you can use. Just keep in mind, whatever it is, you want to feed very, very lightly. So I would literally go with quarter strength. And again, remember, the rooting hormone that you use on the end of the cutting that already has some nutrients, some, some of them do. So, you know, keep that in mind as well, um, that the rooting hormone that you use will have a bit of food there um and then basically uh i would say use quarter to half strength of 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 a blooming uh nutrient so if you're using something like general hydro you would use the flora uh if you're using any kind of three part i would use the micros and the the flowering or blooming uh side of that uh with this as well maybe just a little bit of the the grow but you want to keep it real mild Uh, and basically, again, adjust to a pH of about 6.2, um, and water, the medium, if it gets, starts to dry out, whether it's rock wool or not, uh, you want to basically keep it moist. I love the trays, the simple plastic trays. I do use the lids. Some people don't use the lids, um, because it sort of hardens off, uh, the cuttings and they basically keep the atmosphere the way they want it. Um, but for me, the lids are great. Uh, especially in the winter when it can tend to be a little dry. Uh, I use the lid and then, you know, put that under a fluorescent light. Uh, and basically, uh, at proper mild fertilization at 6.2 pH, uh, at, you know, a nice warmer 70 to 75, warmer than room temperature. So uh, again, a heat mat is great underneath the tray. Uh, and uh, that humidity level of about 70, 70% or so, you should have rooted clones in basically 7 days definitely well before 10 days sometimes even at 5 days uh the callousing uh there's different stages of cloning i'll go into that in a in a future episode but i wanted you guys to understand um light fertilization uh ph slightly on the acidic side uh and then as always you know warm temperatures and humid humid conditions will Definitely improve your cloning. Uh, Just don't go too humid. Don't go too hot. uh, And make sure all of those things are dialed in. And you will have healthy clones ready to go. And uh, healthy clones means healthy plants. Healthy plants means big, nice, healthy flowers. So that's the way to go uh, for rooting success. And I hope you guys learn something along the way.
2: All right. Yeah, me too. Otherwise, what's the point of all this? Well, I guess there's entertainment value, but uh, a little bit. Yeah. All right. So there's (laughs) our there's our cultivation tip. And uh, now we move on to the part of the show where we answer some questions from our trusted and loved listeners. Uh, If you have a question you would like answered, do get in touch with us. The, in, the email is info at growbudyourself.com. You can get us on the socials, on Patreon, on YouTube, and all that. So what do you say we jump in with uh, a question from Nick?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
2: Okay. Nick writes, hey, guys, thanks for the show. I'm loving it. Listening to four to five episodes a day catching up to the current. My goodness, that's honestly, that's like six plus hours. <laughs> it's a lot music. of us. That's a lot of us. My gosh. <laughs> but thank you, Nick. That's awesome. Yeah, I appreciate it. So uh, I had a question about autoflowers. I'm very impatient. So I started autoflower seeds along with my regular seeds, hoping to have a small harvest before the regular seeds are ready. When the autoflowers go into flowering, keeping my lights at 18.6, can I veg my photo plants next to them, or should they be separated? Will the autoflowers induce flowering on the photo plants in veg, even though the lights are still at 18.6? Thanks for all your help. So, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. What would you say here to Nick?
1: All right, Nick. Uh, very interesting question, and the answer is that your, plants, your photo plants will stay in the vegetative stage under 18.6. And the autos will flower. So you can just keep them under the eighteen six, and you'll get the autos to flower. Uh, But at some point you are going to have to cut the lights on the photo period plants. Uh, And I don't know if that'll be in time for how long the autos are going to flower because the autos are going to take, you know, typically 45 or so days to flower. Uh, If you're vegging plants out for an extra month or so, uh, you're going to need larger containers, bigger plants. Um, they're going to grow pretty massive. While the other, while the autos are flowering, the the photo plants are going to veg, and continue to grow and stretch and and grow leaves and branches, uh, and they could get pretty big and unruly over the course of you know a month and a half or so. So I would just keep that in mind. Your your photo plants are going to stay in veg as long as they're under eighteen six, um, and you can't really start that flowering period for the photos until the autos are finished um well i mean technically you could the autos are just going to get less light so at some point you're probably going to want to cut to 1212 for the photos and just let the autos finish out and you'll get a crop of autos and then you know uh later down on down the road you'll get your crop of photo period plants as well so it's interesting it's just a matter of timing
2: all right there you go. We hope that helps you out there, Nick. And thank you so much for your dedicated, extremely dedicated listening to this podcast. We appreciate that. <laughs> uh, let's move on here to Joey Zaza, who writes, uh, Hey, Danny, I keep hearing about aeroponics and aquaponics. What are they and what is the difference? <laughs> that reminds me so much of one of my favorite uh, Simpsons quotes. <laughs>
1: Shopper. Who are you? Where are you going? No, do your research, Shoppin. Kent Rockland,
0: Channel Six News. How does it feel to be accused of the attempted murder of your boss and mentor?
2: Yeah, that's a, it's <laughs> a classic. But okay, no uh, <laughs> uh, but but Joey has a serious question. He wants to know aeroponics, aquaponics. uh Could you help him
1: out here? Absolutely. And uh even though they sound similar, they're definitely quite different. Aeroponics is a hydroponic method of growing, uh where basically the roots just dangle. Uh, and are misted by nutrient solution. It's very much, uh, as I always say, like driving a Ferrari. Uh, You need everything dialed in. Uh, You need to constantly be aware of your reservoir, basically, uh, where the mist is coming from, because uh, it needs to be the right temperature. It needs to be the right pH, the right parts per million. Uh, You need to make sure that the sprayers are not clogged at all times. Uh, There's a lot to basically incorporate into dialing in aquaponics some people love it because uh, with unencumbered roots roots that have nothing to basically stop them uh when those are misted with nutrient solution they uh you get explosive growth rates i mean you can practically watch the plant grow um so when it's all is dialed in the plants grow incredibly uh quickly and incredibly large very fast and um and then you have really nothing to throw away, no spent medium. Uh, I mean, obviously you have the nutrient solution uh, runoff, but besides that, you don't have uh, grow rocks to clean. You don't have uh, rock wool to toss out. You don't have whatever you know medium that you have to deal with um, with other types of growing. Uh, aeroponics has no medium. <laughs> you know, the medium is just the air that the, the roots dangle in. Another thing I'll mention is sometimes People use intermittent uh, misting, so it's not like a constant misting, uh, but you want to make sure those roots never dry out. That's aeroponics. Now, aquaponics is basically combining growing plants with growing fish, Uh, and it's very interesting. It's tough to dial in. Um, Typically, people use like tilapia fish. Um, There's all kinds of different fish that people use for this. They feed the fish, uh, the fish poop. Uh, that fish poop and sort of like slimy fish water uh, becomes a plant food. And so basically, you're trying to create a symbiosis. Uh, The fish can even sometimes, you know, be nibbling on the plant roots and things like that. Um, The only time I've really seen it in action, I was in a a greenhouse in Maine. Um, They were growing, the greenhouse was attached to the house that the people were living in. They also had uh, heaters inside the greenhouse. So even in Maine, with snow outside on in December, um snow on the ground, they were growing tropical fruits uh, and all kinds of amazing plants in this greenhouse with, of course, supplemental lighting and heaters, but they had mangoes and and papayas um, and and cannabis, and fish, a, an entirely large fish farm uh, that they would feed the fish, uh, you know, pellets and things. The fish would eat that poop. Uh, they would then, you know, filter the fish poop, uh, and, and feed the plants kind of in an, almost a nutrient film technique, uh, hydroponic system where, uh, the plants roots were held in tubes and the fish poop water basically just goes from one end to the other, uh, being taken in by the roots. So, uh, it isn't easy for sure to dial in aquaponics. I know a lot of people dream about, you know, the perfect sort of ecosystem, uh, and I haven't seen it uh, really dialed in 100% uh, to where people uh, were constantly growing fish and weed side by side and really not having to use any other inputs. So it's interesting, but that's the difference. Aeroponics um, is a hydroponic system where roots dangle in a mist, aquaponics is uh, the combination of fish farming and plant farming.
2: All right, there you go. Thank you joey zaza let's let's do one more here uh this comes let's go over to twitter actually this comes from twitter and uh gail daddy perp who writes uh hey guys has anyone ever bred a granddaddy perp and white widow strain that you know of what do you think dan
1: yeah so i actually did a little quick google search on this and i I had not heard of this uh before but yes there have been some breeders uh who have done this uh i did was i just put granddaddy perp uh times white widow uh in google uh leafly came up with epic family farms uh they have a cross of granddaddy purple and white widow uh there's it looks like qcs in grow diaries they have one uh dankest dank is a reddit one uh, so th- there's definitely a decent amount of people who have tried this cross uh and you know it's interesting because the, it is two very, fairly different uh, types of strains with very different Turk profiles. It would be interesting to see what came out of this. Uh, and if you're going to make a cross like this, you'd want to uh, choose the of the offspring what the traits that you you know you really want to express, whether it's the the granddaddy perp traits or the white widow. Um, both are certainly indica dominant, so you're going to probably get, you know, something indica dominant and maybe not all that interesting from the cross because there are similarities, uh, even though, you know, the perp is purple, the white widow is, you know, very frosty and different. Uh, they are both indicas. So uh, it's interesting. And, and I would be, uh, you know, I'd be intrigued to see what comes out of that. The important thing is people understand, you know, creating a new strain isn't just taking two strings and crossing them together um, because of their names are appealing or because you want to make a certain splash or or you want to say, okay, this is, you know, granddaddy widow or, you know, uh, granddaddy white widow or purple widow or whatever it is that you want to express. It's not from the names, it's from the traits. Uh, And so just keep that in mind that uh, it's really about Turk profile uh, at the end of the day if you want to create something brand new or different, uh, and something brand new or different could come from this, but, uh, it takes time and testing and, uh, growing out large populations and choosing from large populations. Um, but Hey, good luck. And if, if that's something you want to try or, or if you're interested, uh, again, you can Google it and find out, but there's a few different breeders who have done that cross, um, and, uh, you know, found some interesting things. So, Thank you for the question, and uh, yeah, thanks for the support, too.
2: yeah, I just assume that's uh that's how you get lavender
1: <laughs> yeah, purple and white. <laughs>
2: okay um well thank you gail uh daddy perp and thank you to everybody who wrote in this week with a question if you have a question you would like answered on the show uh get in touch with us the email as always that's info at growbudyourself what do you say we take a short recess come back and put an end to this
1: <laughs> you mean wrap it up <laughs> wrap it up sounds good If you're a grower or you're thinking about starting your first crop, then you need to know about Sweetleaf plant nutrients. Sweetleaf has an incredible line of organic fertilizers and, of course, their legacy line that includes organic and some synthetic fertilizers. Check them out at Sweetleaf.com. That's S-U-I-T-E-L-E-A-F.com. The code DANKO15 gets you 15% off everything at Sweetleaf. That's 15% off their signature line of nutrients as well as essentials like complete indoor hydroponic grow tent kits and grow lights, plus awesome apparel, backpacks, and much more. If you join our Patreon You'll get access to additional codes worth 20 and even 25% off. Patreon supporters also receive free Sweetleaf nutrients just for signing up. Sweetleaf provides all the tools necessary for the modern gardener. Check them out at sweetleaf.com and remember the code DENKO15. all right welcome back uh episode number 124 I want to thank uh DJ Jacques and Winstrong always and of course uh for the special song uh want to thank Seth Warner author of welcome to psilocybin uh definitely very interesting information there uh want to thank you guys for listening of course and uh Mike you for uh you know producing and co-hosting and tolerating uh mm-hmm. my <laughs> Quirks and behaviors. Uh, I want to thank Seeds here now. Uh the code there is Danko Ship for free shipping. Want to thank Sweet Leaf Nutrients, uh, Danko15 for 15% off and more if you go to Patreon and sign up there. Uh, you can get 20% or even close to uh, I think 25% off uh all sweet leaf nutrients uh if you join our Patreon at a certain level. Want to thank Excelsior Extracts as always. Uh, Prime Superior Inoculant, code is PS420 for 15% off. Purple Rose Supply, our friends with the Canagar molds. If you want to make your own um, cannabis blunts, uh, it's a roller machine that you can check out at PurpleRoseSupply.com. The code there is GBY20 for 20% off. Uh, Vapor.com, our affiliate, I want to thank them. they have a code Yourself 20 for 20% off everything site-wide, which includes all your favorite vaporizers and accessories. Um, definitely my, our Patreon supporters, our YouTube supporters. Um, we have merch. I forgot to mention this in the intro, but we have merch. Uh, if you go to growbudyourself.com, click on merch, you'll see we've got t-shirts, coffee mugs, uh, water bottles, iPhone cases, all kinds of hoodies. All kinds of Grow Bud Yourself merch. And I do believe I'm, I think I'm legally obligated uh to give you a piece of my head stash if I see you wearing Grow Bud Yourself merch out in public. So uh, keep that in mind. I don't know if that's a legally binding agreement, uh, but if I have head stash and I see somebody in Grow Bud Yourself merch, uh, I will consider myself obligated to at least break off a nug. Uh, for that person so keep that in mind if you're shopping for hoodies it's starting to get cooler out there get yourself an even cooler grow bud yourself hoodie uh at growbudyourself.com. um click on merch and uh that would be highly appreciated I highly appreciate De- definitely guys- not
2: legally binding though just stuff for where- you
1: <laughs> <laughs> not legally binding but uh uh you know so uh you know consciously binding there you let's go say. okay yeah not an nda but a friend da there you go <laughs> uh but yeah man uh thank you to the patreon supporters all the youtube subscribers you guys are awesome uh and if you want to join at patreon you get a bunch of free cool stuff so please join uh we're always looking for more sponsors too so if you're out there wanting to reach a bunch of cool beginner growers Uh, and intermediate and even expert growers or growers that haven't even started growing yet Um, look into it info at growbudyourself.com. thank you guys episode number 124 let's put it in the books